I know we all bring our whole self to work, but if your whole self is quite anxious about a situation, then you have to park that version, don't you? And a part of stepping up is stepping up convincingly and is modifying, you know, your language, your body language, the way that you speak. People need to have confidence. It's not fair to add your own concerns or worries to theirs you know and that's part of the gig isn't it the gig is you know I will calmly and collectively consider what's going on and come up with a plan hello and welcome to another episode of the Ben Morton leadership podcast it's the weekly show that brings you inspiring interviews with senior leaders and genuine subject matter experts all designed to help you be the very best leader that you can possibly be. It's my gift to you and it's absolutely free. In today's episode, we are joined by Stephanie Sir, an accomplished leader with a diverse career ranging from acting and stage management, comparing at a comedy club, all the way through to her current role as Chief Executive of Nottingham Playhouse. Stephanie's remarkable journey reflects her adaptability and leadership acumen, which has earned her a well-deserved MBE. Her extensive experience in the arts and cultural sector, combined with her commitment to leading with good ethics and morals, makes this episode a great source of knowledge, insight and inspiration. So I'm going to keep the intro very tight today and we're going to dive straight in. So sit back, relax, and please enjoy my conversation with Stephanie Sir, MBE. Stephanie, a very warm welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us today. So thank you for joining us for today's episode. That's a pleasure. Nice to see you. So Stephanie, let's dive straight in. Your journey in terms of leadership has been quite a a diverse one, right? From acting to stage management and now sort of leading cultural institutions. How would you say these different roles and that journey you've been on has, has shaped you as a leader? I think it's useful to understand what someone's perspective is having walked in their shoes. So although at the time I didn't particularly think that being an actor would be a precursor to being a chief executive, actually it's been a very useful experience. I think it gives you an understanding of working alongside people to share a sort of common aim. I do think the most useful experience for any manager in any role is stage management. I don't know if you know what stage managers do, but they basically they're, they're behind the scenes making sure everything happens, right. making sure everybody's happy and having to have that kind of empathy into the process and lots of different people. So I do think that's been a very, very useful experience. It's not massively common these days. People tend to go into theatre management via sort of fundraising or marketing, and those are sort of equally valid backgrounds. But I do think, you know, looking back, those kind of experiences, you know, I was also a comedy club compare, you know, and if you can deal with people heckling you, even the acts used to heckle me. Right. Um, <laughs> it's quite useful for, you know, full council meetings or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I, I do think that range of experience has been helpful and it certainly gives me an insight, you know. If you're an actor on stage creating a role, you are, it is quite a lonely place to be. And I think it's easy for people to sort of be slightly disparaging about creative people, slightly disparaging about their needs as if they're very, very high maintenance or demanding. But actually, when you understand it, the world from their perspective, I think it would probably be quite useful. Wow, there's so many 
questions racing through my head already that I hadn't necessarily planned on asking you. I think there's, there must just be so many different skills that you've picked up along the way from all of those different roles that in my mind just appear to be so useful in terms of your job now as a, as a CEO, right? Like are there any, if we break it down bit by bit, are there any particular skills or approaches that you still continue to use that you learned from doing that stage management role? Because that was really interesting when you touched on that. I think the thing with stage management is it has a, has a very fixed firm end point. You know, the show has got to be ready by this point. And in order for the show to be ready, everybody's got to be happy with it. Everyone's got to be on the same page. And there's something about that end point, you know, the, the, the sort of phrase, the show must go on. I mean, it's become a cliche, but actually the show very rarely doesn't go on. Um, so by hook or by crook, by joint endeavour, by listening to people and pacing yourself and talking to each other and planning, you know, the show goes on, the show goes on on time and the show goes on to a high standard. So I do think that's been a useful um, skill. Um, there's just no isn't an option. Yeah. <laughs> and I think sometimes deadlines can become rather elastic and it's, I think, you know, in terms of leadership, getting things done to a higher standard is only part of the battle. Getting them done to a higher standard by the time they're due is just as important. And of course, within budget. And those are things that stage managers all are involved with directly or tangentially. Yeah. So, how do you go about balancing that then? Because I guess if you move away from producing a, a show or something on stage where there's a very fixed deadline, more generally in the world of business or as, as a leader as you said there it's more often the case that a lot well a lot of the time there's not an absolute fixed deadline and it can become a little bit elastic so so there's a balance right isn't there between holding firm to a deadline to get something delivered to a standard on time versus being realistic and letting things kind of shift if they if they really need to we can be there's a danger we can be very dogmatic isn't there that it must be delivered by this deadline but then there's the reality that things change and actually would a bit more time be beneficial like how do you balance those two yeah absolutely i think the danger in my industry is that you have these very fixed deadlines the show is happening here uh, and that can mean that other deadlines which should be equally fixed are not given the same respect so that's something we need to be mindful of sometimes people are unrealistic about deadlines there's no point in having work that's not ready but i also think things that are nice to have you know we all have those projects oh, that's really interesting i must find time to look into that i must find time to consider that they don't tend to happen so i think the discipline of theatre is a good one it's very very rare it does happen but it's very rare that a show doesn't go ahead as planned but then i also think as an arts leader sometimes you would take the view that actually that's not right for now anymore that show's not the right thing to do if we gave it another six months, that might be more relevant or it might be developed in a different direction. So we're not we're not dictated to by the deadlines we set, I guess, um, certainly before something goes on sale. And what about skills from being an actor or a comedy compare? Do they clearly come into play for you? Is there stuff you've, you've learned there? Because you could argue that as a leader, there certainly are times when we have to put on a performance or we have to to act right there might be times when deep down we are nervous or uncertain but actually if we showed that to those that we lead it, it it's not helpful and there's a balance there again isn't there i think between authenticity and being the person people need to see in front of them absolutely and um, you can't really 
And I know we all bring our whole self to work, but if your whole self is quite anxious about a situation, then you have to park that version, don't you? And I do think there's an amount of a part of stepping up is stepping up convincingly and is modifying, you know, your language, your body language, the way that you speak. People need to have confidence. It's not fair to add your own concerns or worries to theirs, you know, and that's part of the gig, isn't it? The gig is, you know, I will calmly and collectively consider what's going on and come up with a plan. And you do. You can't lean on your team in that way. That's not fair. You can say, I don't know either, (laughs) which is certainly what happened during the pandemic. I don't know either at the moment, but together we will know and then it will be fine, you know. And I think not really acting as such, but I do think there's something about if you are an actor, you put yourself in a situation quite regularly where your adrenaline is firing, you know, uh, where you can be feeling quite nervous and anxious and it's always okay. So I think that's useful experience. I don't think all leaders act all the time, but I do think there's a time when you take a deep breath and you just think in your head, this too shall pass. And it does. I do think you need to be quite mindful and respectful of the fact that you are the leader and you're leading. Um, and you might lead in a sense where you consult very widely, um, but ultimately you're still the leader. Uh, and it's not reasonable to share your anxieties with other people, really. Picking on a particularly hot topic at the minute that everyone seems to be be talking about, which is artificial intelligence. What's your view around that and particularly how you think it's going to impact the arts? Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, There might be some implementation of AI that would be very helpful for access, for example. So we have people that come in and audio describe for for audience members who are partially sighted. If there's a way of that being done automatically, it would make that provision much more wide reaching. I don't know if it would work, but it's it's something we've kind of thought about. I think AI, you know, you could put in the parameters of a stage into AI and you could it could incorporate design elements from scenery going across the generations and come up with a passable set design, but it wouldn't have been made by a person. And I think because so much of what we're here to do is to give a voice to artists and to tell stories of our communities, et cetera, et cetera, that even if we could do something using AI, it wouldn't really match with our mission. Our mission is not to give work to AI or to save ourselves money in terms of creative fees. It's to provide a platform for people to be creative. So it's interesting, though, isn't it? I mean, certainly, you know, we've all experimented with it, haven't we? We've all put in, oh, I need to do a speech about the value of the arts. Oh, that's quite good, actually. (laughs) You know, so it's not not useful. But I do think AI, to an extent, is completely at odds with creativity. And also AI is a little bit dishonest, isn't it? Because they say it's been created artificially, but it hasn't really. It's been created using someone else's creativity, mashed up into a generalisation. So without the creativity that preceded it, there would be no no AI to be used and called AI. So I, I think it's being slightly exaggerated. It's not really made by robots. It's made by the ability to process an enormous amount of data and come up with a feasible answer to the question. Uh, if I share a bit of context first, I speak to many leaders who are sort of transitioning into more senior roles, maybe stepping into a MD or CEO role, or certainly a, a role on on an exec team. And there's often a tension that exists between, I guess, being very active in the business, doing all the work within the business to make sure the results are are delivered and I guess to a degree to sort of demonstrate their their worth and and value and that's quite tangible right if you are let's say take a 
easy example that many people can relate to. If you're a sales director, if you still keep your hand in in sales, we have this sense that it's it's given us credibility, right? Because as a sales director, I can still be be out there selling. But the risk of doing that is that you end up being really busy and time poor, and you don't get the chance to to step back and reflect and and see see the bigger picture. And you're not sort of you don't have that external view of the organization i think it can be hard sometimes for people to make that shift where they go hang on actually now part of my job is being a lot more outward facing making sure that my team or our business is represented elsewhere in these committees or or whatever and we've got a got a, a voice like was there a moment where sort of that realization really sank in for you and sort of you had the the comfort to maybe do a little bit less doing so you can be doing that outward facing bit and if so sort of where, where did it come and what advice would you give to people to help them them make that shift i think it's really common for people to find that difficult and also if you've been promoted presumably you're really good at what it was you were doing absolutely um, yeah and then the people who are taking it over from you maybe they're sort of being trained in it so they're not as good at doing it as you were at doing it yeah that that can be quite complicated I think I think being hands-off but supportive is really important but I wouldn't say I necessarily cracked it or I might have cracked it now but I don't think I did at the beginning yeah yes you can do it all but you're not meant to be doing it all you're meant to be doing this other thing (laughs) so I see that a lot people who are breathing down the necks of people and it's like we kind of have to let them get on with it I do think it's important if a leader knows how other people's works go though because it Otherwise, it can be very easy to sit in an office and say, I needed this by last Friday, and where is that? And yes, I know that there's been a major issue, but I still, do you know what I mean? There's something about having done something which gives you that insight. Sometimes what happens, I think, is people, they want to be the leader, but then when they become the leader, they realise that what they really wanted to do was have the leader's salary and be doing their old job. And I see that all the time. And it's not true for me because I've always wanted to do what I'm doing now. They want to move on to the senior team, for example. And then when you get there and you say, well, of course, now this will be your responsibility to solve this issue or your responsibility to generate this project. They still they still try to lead on me as, as the chief executive. Well, that's not the gig. We're not very good, I don't think, at understanding that some people, they don't really, they don't necessarily really want to be the leader. <laughs> you know, you can have someone quite junior who's, who makes a brilliant leader and you can have someone much, much older who's perfectly happy not being the leader. Their strength is not in that. And I think also partly in this country, we don't really make clear what leading is, what leadership is. Um, so people just think it's been the person that bosses other people about. So, yeah, I'm not really answering your question. I just think it's an interesting one. I see it all the time. I certainly think for myself, I have to remind people sometimes that, well, I'm not actually doing that. You're doing that. <laughs> people lean on you if you let them, don't they? And I do see it. I see people who don't empower their teams to get on with it. And all it means is they end up with unhappy teams who move on quickly and they end up with a job description that's completely undeliverable uh, and then they burn out. So I'm saying this from a position now, knowing, if I'm honest, that in the past I've probably been somewhat guilty of that. And I think also as a woman leader, not so much now, but certainly in the past, People would sort of try and, you know, oh, that's not possible or that can't be done. And sometimes I'm afraid it is more historic than current, having to demonstrate that something could very easily be done, actually, because there's a sort of slight reaction to having, as they perceived it, a female telling them what to do. Yeah. 
Stephanie, I've got one sort of final main question for you, if, if I may, before I just ask a few of the regular quickfire questions I, I like to ask guests. And I guess this one maybe wraps together everything that we've spoken about already. So if you were to distill down your leadership philosophy and approach learned over the past however many many years into a single piece of advice maybe for someone about to step into an MD or CEO position like what what would that be what would you say I suppose there's no harm in not having all the answers you know make sure you know where to find them and make sure you keep teaching yourself learning reading meeting great people but coming in with the wrong answer because you feel you're meant to have the answer is the wrong way about it and I think surround yourself with good people don't be threatened by good people if you have great people on your team it makes your life a whole lot easier yeah I love that a few quick fire questions for you Stephanie I I love this one and I have to caveat it with other than your smartphone so other than your smartphone what would you say is the one item that you would immediately go and replace if the original were to be lost stolen or broken cafetiere <laughs> cafetiere yeah. i don't function without coffee <laughs> <laughs> brilliant love it and what would you say is one book that has really had a significant impact upon you or to ask the question in a slightly different way equally what is one book that you find yourself um, recommending to other people the most? I read fiction. So um, although I listen to and read a lot of sort of business manuals and have done, and obviously I did an MBA 20 years ago and we did a lot of reading, but there wasn't actually, to be honest with you, there wasn't really anything that came out of that that I thought, oh, that's my Bible, that's the thing. I like reading books around people who have a kind of moral compass. So there's a writer called Jonathan Coe who writes really interesting books. And my favourite book, one of my favourite books, is called Water Carve Up. And it's about this country and it's about good people not doing enough or not doing the right thing at the right time and uh, what the cumulative effect of that is. So that's the kind of book I recommend to people is is what-if books, but um, rooted very much in the society in which we're all operating. And business books, I mean, there's a few I like. I mean, I like this. There's a book about um, relevance, the art of relevance. That's a good book. But I wouldn't say it's changed my behaviour. I think sometimes you read books that just reinforce what you're already doing, don't you? So I was right all along. Marvellous. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. We we do. I, I find that I tend to read and read and read on the same theme and fit in areas I'm potentially already quite, quite skilled at, which maybe is because we're avoiding some of the, the things we really know we could or should be focusing on, but we don't really want to. Don't go there. <laughs> Keep those locked in a dark cupboard. <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie, thank you so much for your time today. Really enjoyed chatting to you and hearing your insights and leadership experiences that comes from a a slightly different perspective and sector to probably the majority of the guests that come on on the show. So I've got loads from chatting to you today and hearing your perspective. I'm sure guests will, sorry, I'm sure the listeners will also do the same. So thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thanks for some very great questions. I hope you enjoyed listening to that episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. I think one of the highlights for me was the conversation we had about halfway through where we were talking about acting. 
Now, for me, this is a brilliant example of why I often say leadership is more art than science. And it also highlights the fact that so often our job as a leader, we find ourselves operating in the grey, where there's no definitively right or wrong, black or white answer. Now, this is particularly true when we think about authenticity. It's something that's spoken about, been spoken about a great deal in leadership and management circles for quite a few years now. And I absolutely believe that authenticity is absolutely key to effective, inspiring leadership, right? Those that we lead have got to know who we are, what we stand for, what's important to us, what we care about. And at the very same time, there are times when as a leader, we need to put on a performance or maybe act in a certain way when that perhaps isn't how we are truthfully feeling in the moment. Now, that doesn't mean we are being inauthentic, What it does mean is we are stopping to consider what we need to do and how we need to show up in order to be of most service to those that we lead and the organisation that we are custodians of. So we need to be careful, I believe, of becoming too dogmatic about I must be authentic, I must be my true self, because yes, for the majority of the time that probably is an effective strategy for us as leaders but there are times when we might want to hide or mask some of our nervousness because in that moment that's what our team need so it's an interesting conversation that I encouraged you to reflect on by yourself maybe with some friends colleagues or even your team at work in fact why not share the episode and then have a conversation about it and see where it takes you. I'm sure it will be a valuable investment of your time. Before you head off, before we wrap up this episode, please do take a couple of minutes to check out the link in the show notes to my new online program, Delegation Mastery. It's such an important topic. And as listeners of the show have been telling me, as people have completed my free 10 for 10 course have been telling me, it is one of the leadership and management skills that people struggle with the most, which is exactly why I've crafted this brand new online program for you, which hand on heart is the best program I've ever created. So do go ahead right now, click on the link in the show notes and take a look. Other than that, until next time, Look after yourself, look after those you've got the privilege and responsibility to lead, and I'll see you in the next episode very soon. Lead on.